on in to the 15th episode of the GL Review. I'm Nathan Graber-Lipperman, creator and editor-in-chief of Unplugged, and today I'm really excited to bring you something I've been sitting on for over a year now. So if you follow me on the website, you'll know that in September, I published a story all about rap and the N-word after a controversy on my very own college campus. That story was really dear to my heart. I approached it while taking pretty much the equivalent of Journalism 101, reporting and writing. And though I don't really consider myself a true by-the-book journalist, it's really the closest I've ever gotten to a traditional piece featuring interviews and whatnot. Uh, And yeah, it took me a whole year to complete it because, let's be real, it's an incredibly hard topic to write about. And I wanted to do justice to the people featured in the story and the larger culture swirling around it as a whole. Anyway, if you haven't read that piece, go check it out. You can find it by scrolling down on our main website. It's a good primer for giving you some context on what this podcast will be about, because I featured the person interviewed here, Dr. Neil Lester, pretty heavily in my piece. Plus, this conversation ties into the longer discourse as a whole. Sorry, the larger discourse as a whole. So, yeah, I would definitely recommend checking that out. Regardless, Neil Lester is an English professor at Arizona State. He taught the first ever college level class designed to explore the N-word. The bulk of our conversation focused on the word's prominence in rap, and overall, I have to say, it was quite fascinating to get his incredibly unique, well-researched perspective on the whole thing. Uh, Besides, I think this is a topic that's never truly irrelevant in our society. I think it's worth discussing as hip-hop continues to become more and more mainstream pretty much every year. Before we jump into it, though, I'd be remiss in not mentioning all the great stuff currently up on the website. Earlier this week, Kareem Nirani and Charlie Goldsmith sat down and took a look at the Eastern Conference for the fifth episode of the Unplugged NBA show. Always going to be a good one when you get those two guys in the studio. We also published our winners and losers from the last week in popular culture, including Stephen A. Smith and the marketing team behind Deadpool. I'll let you guess who won and lost out of those two, but... Anyway, go check that out. Always a fun project. Also, Parker Helgenberg. Sorry, Parker, if I still haven't figured out how to pronounce your last name correctly. Um, Parker wrote about Kyrie Irving and his penchant for crazy interviews and the media culture that really keeps egging him on. I thought this was a really, really interesting read, and you can always expect a fun spin on things from Parker out there in East Dakota. Uh, finally, the Hot Take Show. I should be saying this more excited. The Hot Take Show, our first video series. It debuts this upcoming Thursday. It's a satirical take on hot take culture hosted by Andrew Fenichel. It's one of these things I've had in my head for like two years now. Uh, Some bullet points on a Google Doc. That was about the extent of the show for a long time. Um, We got quite the crop of guest panelists to kick things off between Jake Liker and George Irving. Jake's hot take is that a beanie isn't a hat. While George seems to think umbrellas are pointless. Great stuff. Tune into our YouTube channel over at Powder Blue Media at 8 p.m. Eastern this Thursday, December 20th. We'll be doing a YouTube premiere, so starting an hour beforehand, you'll be able to chat on the video's page, as well as participate in a Q&A with the show's creators. Should be a lot of fun. You can find more information on our website at powderbluemedia.com. And one last thing, thank you to Naomi Perry and Leslie Pepper Lido for becoming our first patrons on Patreon. We do a lot of great work over here at Unplugged and put a lot of time and effort into everything you see on the website, on our social media channels and whatnot. If you're a fan of what we're creating, 
Patreon is a great way to show your support. Get discounts on Unplugged merch, access to premium content, and more. Log on to patreon.com slash unpluggedwithNGL to learn more about how you can support us. That's patreon.com slash U-N-P-L-U-G-G-D-W-I-T-H-N-G-L. All right, that was a lot. Anyway, here's my conversation with Dr. Lester. first question for you is um i read an interview with you from uh 2011 where you talked about the birth of your uh, class you teach on the n-word and yeah. so uh nine years later are you still teaching this course or uh, any others on the word and what has the reaction to it been okay well um i started teaching that course to first year students when i served as a, a central administrator and mm-hmm. so these were courses that were um for first-year students, and they were sexy courses, in air quotes, to get students kind of connected to whatever your subject, and in my case, it was literature Mm -hmm. through the lens of culture. So um, I taught that, gosh, four or five times, and then it just got bigger uh, in terms of public interest in it, Mm -hmm. and also I kept discovering more stuff so that I started delivering this as public lectures so that I could access more individuals who were not necessarily students, mm-hmm. so that the, the course itself has transformed into um, a, uh, a series of, it could be a workshop or it's a public lecture, mm-hmm. and various publications have come out of that, both op-ed pieces, mm-hmm. there's some in Teaching Tolerance, which is the educators, uh, K-12 through educators across the country, mm-hmm. um, and also I did a couple of blogs for, uh, well, a blog series for the Detroit Smart News, mm-hmm. and I actually published a piece on the pedagogy of teaching the class mm-hmm. in a multi uh, multicultural education journal out of University of Las Vegas. So the idea of the course itself um, has sort of evolved into something that's much bigger because these were small seminars of 12 students, sometimes 15 but it seemed like I, I wanted to kind of scale that and, and presenting lectures on it and publishing on it and doing all these kinds of interviews on it has given me more access to more folks. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and yeah, and just touching on that a little bit, um, do you find in recent years has the meaning of the course changed with the advent of social media and kind of just the vociferous nature of things like the election and just kind of that online presence of people uh, constantly interacting with each other? Uh, no. It was like that when, when I started way back when. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, there's nothing that has um, precipitated it. It's, it's always been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nothing, nothing about 2016 election has called anything to happen any more intensely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think the advent of social media, which was there, you know, when I started, this, yeah. has allowed us to see more instances and also uh, kind of you know catching people saying mm-hmm. it yeah, yeah, yeah. who shouldn't be saying it. So I think we know about more stuff and have access to more stuff, but I don't think it's happening more often. I think we just may be knowing about it more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind right. of that like accountability aspect, uh, or or revealing it. Uh-huh. I mean, once upon a time we all you know. 
you didn't necessarily know immediately when it happened, mm-hmm. and you didn't have people commenting on it to the extent that people are commenting now on Facebook or Twitter or whatever mm-hmm. social media platform is out there. So, but that that hasn't increased its presence, though. I think it, our awareness of it may mm-hmm. have been increased. I mean, one of one of the exercises that I used then, and I continue to remind audiences, is to um, do a Google search mm-hmm. of the N word and see what comes up and I, I challenge them to do both spell you know the multiple spellings the er the ga the gah and tell me if anything comes up uh, mm-hmm. as a term of endearment so i think you know i think with 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 some rap music and i don't want to categorically say that rap music is full of the n-word mm-hmm. but because there is rap music that isn't mm-hmm. um but i do think that um the fact that that younger people somehow think that they've sort of taken it back has led to a different kind of conversation now so that yeah. young people like you for example mm-hmm. who think who think that 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 you know something clever is being done you know when jay-z or nwa uses the word or use the word mm-hmm. um that somehow you're doing something that hasn't been done and the fact is that's not really true mm-hmm. yeah uh did you have another point to say Okay. Um, yeah, actually kind of building off that, um, in researching this topic, uh, one prominent example I found was um, in 2009, Oprah did a piece and uh, had an interview on, on air with uh, Jay-Z, uh, and they kind of just uh, debated the usage of the word, have you seen this, or are you familiar with it? Yep, I have seen it. Yep, I use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I know that Jay-Z kind of made the argument that by changing the word from a word of hate to one of endearment, uh, he and other rappers take away the power of the word. He said that if the word was completely banned, another one will pop up and take its place just the next day. Uh, how do you personally feel about this take? Well, I think that's a nonsensical argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, and it's ironic that Jay-Z would be using it uh, when in fact he claimed that he was gonna stop using the B word in his lyrics after his daughter was born. Mm-hmm. Um, I, first of all, this word is not like any other like the word in the English language, and there's an American history that goes with this word unlike any other. Mm-hmm. So you can't take anything back that you never own. So the word wasn't a word that black or people of color, black people in particular, gave themselves. It was a word that was given to black people initially as a neutral descriptor, but then it became disparaging. So, and, and I'm, it's, it's so... Bizarre to me that the only thing that I can hear when people are trying to lay out an argument for that mm-hmm. is it's a term of endearment. Mm-hmm. But that that's so ridiculous because masters use those same terms with their mm-hmm. slaves endearingly. Yeah. So that in and of itself is a very weak, shallow, nonsensical, repetitive, no substance argument. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where that's going when somebody says that. Mm-hmm. It's a term of endearment. What does that mean? And when does that memo <laughs> go out? And why are people claiming that when there's so many other ways that, you know, that that word has, has and continues to embody discrimination and violence mm-hmm. and history, both present and past. So to think that all of a sudden in a few years of hip hop that you can flip a switch and make it somehow nicer and, mm-hmm. and, smells better is absurd and I don't know there's no evidence that proves that happened if you in fact if you go back to some of the historical documents whether they are slave narratives or Mm -hmm. travel narratives or minstrel songs the same spelling was there Mm -hmm. so you can't 
Yeah, kind of. Back if you never owned it, and it, I can't find anywhere where where black people own the word. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. Or even the spelling. So that's what I'm saying. That's what's so that's what's so disconnected from the history is that if Jay Z and others who make that claim were to sort of stretch back beyond their lives mm-hmm. and realize that there was a history that preceded them, then they would know they're not doing anything that's innovative and they're not taking anything back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, In fact, one could make an argument that they're actually internalizing it, and that if if black people are calling themselves that, then white people don't need to call them call them that. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's much evidence. Psychological, sociological, to show that that could. I'm not. I'm not necessarily buying into that. A hundred percent. There could be. You know what Du Bois calls double consciousness, where you internalize the ways in which the mainstream culture mm-hmm. looks at you with in contempt. So that, to me, is ever. You know that. That to me is is way more um, substantive and rational. Than what Kendrick Lamar is trying to say with the NEGUS and even that mm-hmm. sort of acronym that Tupac came up with, which nobody can remember. <laughs> so the fact of trying to use it as a king and queen—that is not how it's being used when when people are using that socially, mm-hmm. black, white, and others. So I don't know that that whole thing just made no sense to me, and it's not generational. It's not mm-hmm. generational because there are some parents who also think that, and black people have used the word. Uh, and mm-hmm. it is not like the words, you know, the B words of the, you know, those words that have to do with gender, sexuality, mm-hmm. class. Um, and this is one of those equal opportunities. So I don't know how you can take that back. And you can't ban a word because the word signifies how people think mm-hmm. and how people behave. So there's no such thing as banning the word. However, you know, ambitious and ideal, you know, ideally uh, the NAACP wanted to do that a few years ago. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. Because it's, the word signifies a certain relationship between races historically, and that relationship exists in the present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I just wanted to say uh, you were referencing uh, the whole phrase "term of endearment," and the entire time I've been researching that, I've come upon that phrase many, many times. So it's interesting how one person says that, and all of a sudden it just snowballs, and it just but nobody becomes... knows what it means. If you say things like, "Well, it means brother," and it means this, well, why can't you say those? Mm-hmm. And that is not what it means. Mm-hmm. That is not what it means. And, and even if you were to unpack that, there's evidence after evidence after evidence that shows that you know, you know, slave owners thought of their te- their their slaves endearingly. You know, uh, people think of their pe- pets endearingly. Uh, you know, if you if you look at the help with uh, Stockett, she, you know, those people who who mm-hmm. had maids and servants, they thought of them endearingly. So that in and of itself does not disrupt that argument mm-hmm. that the word is disparaging and you can't take it back. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's like people are like parrots. They just keep repeating stuff, but nobody can give you <laughs> any substance to that. And, and building off another thing uh, you mentioned, so uh, just this year, there's a famous YouTuber, or he has a lot of subscriptions called iDubs, and... Um, mm-hmm. He got into very public beef with a fellow YouTuber who called him out for his use of the N-word. Um, he had used it in context before when he did an unboxing video, and for some reason, I don't really know why, but there was a book that had the N-word in it, and he said the word out loud kind of casually, and many people, including this famous YouTuber, called him out for it. So he decided to come out with this whole video um, about like why he thinks uh, words in context uh, that's it's, it's always the context that matters, and he also kind of 
mentioned how uh, words regarding uh, mental uh, mental illness and uh, gender, as you were talking about before, um, slurs with gays, slurs with um, woman. Uh, he was talking about how those words aren't held to the same uh, the same standard, the same level. Those were his words as uh, the N word. And because they don't have the, they're not connected to history. They are, they, the, the, the way that those words are very specifically tied to a specific group. That's what, this is why I had to stop teaching the class mm-hmm. because I can't say all of this stuff to just 12 people. This mm-hmm. is why I tried to publish it and do the interviews yep. and the videos and all those things because it's not like any other word. So, ableist language, uh, classist language, uh, homophobic language, those are specifically tied to a specific group about a certain characteristic. Mm -hmm. The N-word becomes an equal opportunity one. One is not going to call a baby an infant, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, a bee. Mm -hmm. But their children's books, their children's songs, and their, their, their books that kids learn how, particularly white kids, learn how to read and write and count, with mm-hmm. the N-word in them. Mm-hmm. So that in and of itself separates this. This is not about the sexuality. This is not about the class. This is about an identity that was assigned. And it was an identity that, as I said, for about a minute, was rather neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, and But it didn't take long for a neutral descriptor to become something that was not neutral. Mm-hmm. And thus we have, certainly by 1619, it was clearly... Uh, disparaging, and that hasn't changed. It hasn't changed in the 30 years of hip hop. Mm-hmm. It has not changed, and you know it's it's sort of ironic because Jay Z in his last uh, his last album, mm-hmm. and there was that video associated with it where he's talking about yeah. OJ Simpson. Mm-hmm. Well, on the one hand, he's trying to say, well, yeah, you know, no matter what OJ, you're still an N word. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, is he trying to be subversive? Is he trying to say, yes, in fact, all black people are, are, are considered that way, you know, by, by those, you know, white people who disparage black people and some black people who disparage black people. Mm-hmm. So I, I, Jay-Z, Jay-Z seems confused to me. <laughs> and there's no evidence that I've seen that Jay-Z has done any kind of research on this mm-hmm. or has any kind of argument that makes sense beyond an opinion and everybody has an opinion. Mm-hmm. But I don't see anybody who's using that term of endearment having done any work mm-hmm. to sort of show us where and how that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, all right, so uh, kind of building off another thing you mentioned. Um, so I know in recent years, uh, schools have banned books like uh, Huckleberry Finn over its inclusion of the N-word. Um, I remember reading this book in high school and my teacher was... Uh, strongly yeah. against it and but he yeah, said it was part of the curriculum well so i was i was wondering so i i when i read it i deemed the word relevant due to the context of the time period in which twain wrote it um right, so but how do you feel about this whole school's banning wor- uh books such as well, I, film? I, I think so too i mean that would be like banning a slave narrative mm-hmm. uh, but the stuff that people and I've, I've always said you know when people want to sort of get me to come down and say, well, people should never say it. I said, well, that's not true. I said, if it's being used within a context to reproduce something that is historical, mm-hmm. primary story, that has, yeah, then, then therefore you need to use it. That that whole ridiculous uh, exercise that one you know professor at another university did, where he changed the word slave and the N word out 
Mm-hmm. And the history exists before they were born. Mm-hmm. Before any of us were born. So yeah. I don't think that you can start banning books. And, and, and I've said this repeatedly as well. If anybody who tries to teach that in a classroom reduces the book to that word, then mm-hmm. they're doing a disservice to the author of the book. Yeah. The book is way bigger than a word. I've said this about To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. I've said this about that is only one tiny aspect. And what I find is that white people, because I've never had any black people ask me this, mm-hmm. are fetishizing the word. Mm-hmm. And they're always thinking, oh my gosh, we have to read this. And therefore, now, I certainly wouldn't, as a pedagogical strategy, I wouldn't have students reading it out loud. I wouldn't mm-hmm. have my college students reading it out loud. Mm-hmm. You know, we're doing Tony Morrison's The Bluest Eye now. It has yeah. the word in it. But but I'm ha- I have an audio where Tony Morrison and Ruby D are reading it. Mm-hmm. And trust me, this is not a word that students haven't heard, but I certainly don't want them performing the word mm-hmm. in the class. Even when I've taught the class, we had some ground rules, and the mm-hmm. ground rules were that, you know, we wanted to be respectful, we weren't going to be subversive, whatever materials we had would stay in the classroom within the context of the class. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that that takes a lot of risk, but you also yeah. have to build trust, because people can take one thing out of your class, and then take it into another context that can be something, you know, headline-worthy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I must admit that I was jarred, and am jarred, when a white person says it in my presence even when I'm talking about the word and I personally don't use it. Mm-hmm. So when I'm given a lecture on the N-word I call it straight talk about the N-word because I can show it to you and I can point it out. If I happen to be reading you know, a, a poem you know, by uh, County Cullen called Incident I may mm-hmm. read it but I also may euphemize it. Mm-hmm. But what I don't want and what, what makes me feel uncomfortable and that's that's that part that is that that is like no other word, at least for many um, uh, black people, is that it's, it, it you can't explain the illogic of that when it it creates a kind of visceral response. Mm-hmm. So you know, here's a case in point. I was um, an expert witness for a case out of L.A. where a um, a high school AP English class had two. Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, you're vandalizing 
Mm-hmm. I said, but the, point, the fact of you're using it will likely have social consequences in mm-hmm. the same way that if you wear a costume, blackface, at a Halloween party yep. on Tuesday, you're, there's likely to be social consequences. Nobody's going to come yep. in and arrest you. And if you start posting things on social media, then your administrators at Northwestern may have to call you in and offer some disciplinary stuff because you represent the university. Mm-hmm. So that's all I'm saying is that there's no confusion about this. There's no real sense that, that the people who are claiming they've taken it back have anything of substance to make an argument for that except that somebody said it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've discovered in all of the, the, the ways that I've been talking and teaching, and I'm really, really, really trying to find somebody who can give me something that I can nibble on and digest so that I can really see where that argument is coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can't. And, you know, it does seem to be a gendered argument. It's mainly, you know, black males who are holding on to this. Mm-hmm. And white people seem to be wanting to say it with this, oh, well, if black people can say it, then white people should be. So it's a double standard. And mm-hmm. I borrow from Tim Weiss when he said, well, so is American history. Mm-hmm. It's double standard. Now what? You know, no, nobody's going to lose any sleep because you can't say the word. And I mm-hmm. can tell you this, that if, in fact, which is where your original premise came from, mm-hmm. that this is about the use of the word in rap music, you'll have to look at who the main consumers are. They're not me. Mm-hmm. They're you and your generation and your mm-hmm. white colleagues. So there's something about this that white people are fetishizing mm-hmm. and somehow wanting to embrace it in much the way I suppose blackface is. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it, but I saw a headline about it. Mm-hmm. And it's an identity that 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it was it was great. Um, yeah, no. Towards your point, like, yeah. So the the whole A and O thing. Uh, that's what really told me. Okay, I really have to look into this. But yeah, kind of as I talked about in the beginning, like, uh, ever since I was old enough to understand what the word uh, meant, I just felt that I knew that taboo, and I was just like, I I'm never ever gonna say this. I'm never gonna think it. It's just I can enjoy rap, but so. It was exactly. interest. It's been interesting me to me since I got to that level of like sophomore, junior year of high school, and then all of a sudden, I heard people around me saying it, regardless of what race they were. So that was just like, whoa! And that really woke me up. I'm like, how how do we approach this? Um, well, keep in mind also, there's a cool factor to that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Cool. At parties, so, at concerts. You know, it's just like any other appropriation. You know, if, you know, talking mm-hmm. about something being on fleek or. Yeah. Somebody, you know, Becky with the good hair. I mean, all of that stuff becomes cool mm-hmm. when white people are using it. When mm-hmm. black people are using it, it's potentially cool and ghetto. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying is that's the where you can appropriate cultural appropriation. You know, a white person can wear the dreadlocks as a statement. Mm-hmm. And it's part of one's identity as a black person. They could be denied access to a job, could be, mm-hmm. you know, told that they can't come to school mm-hmm. because of the policies. And typically, dreadlocks, cornrows, braids are not styles identified with white people. Mm-hmm. So do you see what I'm saying is that this is, you know, it's, it's the same sort of black face that Iggy Azalea wears yeah. when she puts on her black set. She's mm-hmm. still white. And you mm-hmm. can tell she moves in and out of whiteness depending on what's commercially satisfying and appealing and, mm-hmm. and profitable. So this is really, you know, I say the N-word is just one drop in this sort of ripple yeah. of, complicated race relations in this country and what's Mm -hmm. interesting for me also is the fact that the word has taken on these sort of international dimensions yep so this you know people pay attention to what's happening in the states Mm -hmm. and so because they don't have the american history Mm -hmm. they think that they can just use it again because it's cool and if the states are doing it then we should be doing it Mm -hmm. and the fundamental part that seems to be missing is that moment in history Mm -hmm. where europeans encountered africans enslaved them, mm-hmm. brought them to America, and in the process of enslaving and encountering, looked at them as different. Mm-hmm. And those images of difference, whether it be the word itself, which means black, have persisted mm-hmm. in the language we use and the images we use, so it's way bigger. And, mm-hmm. you know, images of unattractive, primitive, uh, animal-like, mm-hmm. you can watch those play it out in, you know, Darren Wilson's testimony uh, about killing uh, Mike Brown. Mm-hmm. He was an animal. He was walking yeah. through the bullet. The yeah. more he shot, the more he came. So that's what I'm saying is that that word, and you wouldn't get that with the B word. You wouldn't get that with the C word. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get that even with other words that are disparaging mm-hmm. for other groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Uh, it's interesting you brought up the international factor because uh, well, my roommate's actually Australian. And when I explained the premise of this piece to him, uh, he, he like keeps up, he knows American culture pretty well, but he's not really a fan of rap. But right. when I explained the whole premise to him, he was just like, wait, there's a debate surrounding this. Like, why would he like barely knows anything about American history? And then he's just like, why would anyone ever say that? Like, so that was just very interesting to me. Well, but keep in mind, though, also, it's the same way that sexism sells. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if in fact we valued women the way we claim we do, then yeah. we, women would be paid the same amount of money for doing the same amount of work, mm-hmm. and we wouldn't have these objectifying. 
yeah, 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 advertisements. Yeah. anything that you don't see men selling and I For say sure. the same thing with with black people if we valued then there wouldn't be this sort of commercial appeal for that rap mm-hmm. but keep in mind also not all rap uses that yep like, there, there's some rap that doesn't use there's some conscious rap yeah now I'm confused when somebody like Kendrick Lamar who seems to have mass appeal yeah among your generation is what is there about him because he's you know he doesn't have the best kind of record in his presentation of women mm-hmm. so these, these songs are not disconnected from these other things within the song. There's mm-hmm. misogyny, there's homophobia, mm-hmm. there's extreme capitalism. So how do you tease out and say you're going to absorb those parts, but mm-hmm. not the other parts of those songs? So, you know, what I'd like to see is some conscious rap. What I'd like to see, you know, and that's not popular, though. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I know. It's popular. That's, mm-hmm. that's what, uh, isn't that what Common recently said? Uh, he would stop using it, and I know I don't... He said he, it for a minute. Really? Okay. It, uh, because at the end of the day, it's what feeds the purse. That's why we have you know yep. somebody like Kevin Hart, for example, who continues to be one of the highest-paid comedians mm-hmm. in the country. But Kevin Hart comes out of a minstrel tradition, mm-hmm. uh, where he's sort of wearing blackface and he's always funny and it's always ridiculous funny. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to see him in a serious role someplace. Yeah. Nobody will hire him for that. He can only be the clown. Mm-hmm. And he's typecast. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't have to say it in 
two hours of you know intense questions and my responses. Yeah. But the, the, one of the white attorneys said the word, uh-huh. and it just, it just, and it wasn't directed at me, mm-hmm. to my knowledge. <laughs> but it just, there was like this whole kind of uh, blank. Um, this blankness has just sort of stopped. It stopped there. Everything stopped at that moment. I couldn't figure out what he had asked me because I heard it coming out of him and it just hit me in a way mm-hmm. that I couldn't even explain. And what was interesting is that the black attorney, it happened to him at the same time. So he immediately said, we have to stop this now and leave. Mm-hmm. And I said, you did not warn us. You did not tell us that you're going to say it. Neither one of us has said it. So mm-hmm. why are you saying it? And he still didn't apologize for it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's a power that cannot be explained. And it is not like the B word. It is not like the C word. It is not like the R word. It mm-hmm. is not like any of those other words uh, that have that kind of universal uh, disparagement associated with it historically and in the present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's great. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, one just last question. Um, I'm sure, obviously, you have things to do, but... Um, uh, so I went to an event this past Thursday with uh, three journalists. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of them, but uh, Doreen St. Felix, uh, Rembert Brown, and Wesley Morris. Okay, I don't recognize Yeah, okay. Uh, the, but they're they're big. Um, they're pop culture. Uh, they write for a variation of sources. But anyway, um, they talked okay. about uh, the meeting of race, politics, pop culture, and all that in the media, and. Mm-hmm. It was it was a very it was lighthearted. It was a panel. Uh, they were cracking jokes, but um, they brought some really relevant points. And one that I do remember is uh, Wesley brought up a point about uh, Beyonce's Lemonade and this whole idea of how it came out and instantly it's a masterpiece. You can't touch it, especially if you're white. Just don't go there. Um, and just kind of that idea has also. Uh, like if you're a critic, if you're looking to write about it, um, no. just don't approach it. And um, yeah, no. And uh, Wesley also yeah. talked about um, the show Dear White People and um, uh, what Insecure. Um, the 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 show, the show that's going on now. Um, and uh, he also talked. Uh, he mentioned Insecure. So uh, this whole idea of like. Uh, he was saying we can't shut off like one whole half of like the argument or like one whole half of people's perspectives on it. So as like an aspiring person uh, in the media, do you think it's important for um, people of all backgrounds, all races, all genders, all sexualities to um, approach things uh, such as Lemonade? Obviously, I'm giving a specific example there, but just kind of like the the other things it entails, like is it important for the media to approach things and uh, give the f- full perspective on different topics and conversations? Well, are you saying, are, are you asking, is it important to be critical, to approach things with a critical lens? Um, well, not just critical, but like in regards to this, um, this paper I'm currently writing, for example, it's like I came up with the idea and then I started to think, well, if I approach this topic being a white individual, is there backlash? Like, am I allowed to talk about rap music in this word? And even, uh, I, I thought I thought it was just an important topic to, because I, I think about it a lot, I want to write about it. But even then I started researching it and I 
actually just talked to my sister today and I explained like I'm really excited I met these journalists that are really cool and uh, they really encouraged me towards this article and even then my sister was like just make sure you don't say anything offensive like make sure you keep it okay and I was kind of shocked by that I'm like well isn't this like the whole point of uh, giving this perspective on this conversation Journalists are supposed to. 
Yeah, for sure. That's that's definitely the way I'm approaching this. I'm I'm trying not to uh, include my personal opinion as much, but kind of just get the opinions of a lot of sources right. all around. And, and I thought lemonade, by the way, I taught lemonade last uh, a year ago, mm-hmm. and I paired that with another black feminist poet because you know when this came out, some of my former students kept saying, "Oh my gosh, did Intazaki Shange write the lyrics to this?" And I said, "Not that I'm aware of." Mm-hmm. And uh, not the lyrics, but the poems. Mm-hmm. And I said no. And I thought, well, I don't see much substance in it. So what I often do is when I don't know something, is I'll create it as something to do in class or create a class around it, which is how the N-word came about. So mm-hmm. I put it on the syllabus so that I could study it. And it's actually not bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a pretty substantive piece. There's some wonderful images in there. It really is about, you know, a relationship that's gone bad. You know, as we talk about black girl magic and the ways mm-hmm. in which, you know, even she, you know, who has tried to be all of these things that the world has created her to be mm-hmm. as part of her persona can be cheated on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ways in which she looks back to her past to try to reclaim sisterhood and empowerment through that. So it's a, it's an interesting piece. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know if it's a masterpiece, but it's certainly yeah. an interesting piece. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, again, was a male approaching it, but I'm putting it in the context of some other poems uh, from the person that I wrote my first book on. So mm-hmm. I certainly wasn't speaking for, but I can certainly be critical of it. You know, Bell Hooks, who's a pretty outspoken feminist, didn't have much to say about it either. Mm-hmm. Uh, or didn't have it much, much, well, I don't know if she spoke specifically about Lemonade, but she certainly talked about Beyonce's kind of brand of feminism. Yep. And that in and of itself starts a whole other conversation <laughs> about blood shaming and respectability politics and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So you can certainly be critical, but I would just keep in mind, you know, that, that your own personal stuff isn't getting in there and it mm-hmm. becomes a white person trying to tell black people what they should and shouldn't do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, right. definitely trying to stay away from that. And let, me, let me just say, too, because I'd love to see, is, is there a way that you can share that, whatever that was, where somebody sent something out saying white people don't use it? Because that's very odd to me. Yeah, um, I can, it's, so basically how it went down was this, uh, I didn't actually go to the concert, but some other people right. sent me pictures of the email. And right. so I have a picture of the email, and I, I can... I can also send you a picture of this girl who posted it in a Northwestern group, and okay. a lot of the comments actually ended up getting deleted of some insensitive stuff, but um, I, I can definitely send you a picture of the email itself and then the Facebook post. See, here, here's, here's where I think. I, I, think it's, I think you should have to tell white people they can't say it, because they should be where you are, mm-hmm. knowing, I know that this is a word that's off limit, I'm not saying it. Yep. Nobody's going to make me say it. What you can't do is what a student did at the University of Alabama a few years ago when I get called on these sort of SOS calls. Mm-hmm. Is, um, you know, they were in a club and Jay-Z was playing and they're, of course, singing out loud. And then she comes and posts it on social media mm-hmm. and doesn't understand why there's fallout from that. Because mm-hmm. in one context, she's singing it. And I'm saying, why is she singing it at all? Yep. Because it doesn't matter the fact is sort of like Barbara Walters if it came out of your mouth you said it mm-hmm. and if you said it you can't you can't unsay it once it's been said or mm-hmm. if you posted it you can't especially it. yeah with social media yeah well and you know the, the high school students who posted it here in my backyard where you know they spelled it out on with their t-shirts mm-hmm. I mean these white students know what's going on there is 
and yeah. their, when they were sort of called publicly on saying it, some mm-hmm. of the other stuff that they said was so much more problematic than their use of the N-word. Mm-hmm. You know, when Paula Dean would say she wanted, you know, dress her brother's uh, wedding attendance in slave attire. Yep. For sure, I agree with that. Uh, one of the prime examples I've been researching is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Michael Richards uh, rant from yeah. 2005. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah and uh, yeah. The, the song by Wale that followed it. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, well, and keep in mind also, you know, it was not just the N-word, but remember he said, you know, oh, that's, that's, ago, that's so, exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, it's that same idea. Like, there, it's not just the N-word that's in his head, it's all these other things. Correct.
Thank you for tuning into the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I think it was just too fascinating of a conversation to not publish, and I hope that can spark more conversation on the topic at large. Tweet or DM me about it, at NathanGL99. I'm always open to more thoughts and opinions on the subject, because it's become evident that there's really no right answer to it all. As always, you can follow us on Twitter, at Unplugged, new handle there, at UNPLUGG underscore D. That's UNPLUGG underscore D. Thanks, as always, to Jerry Lee for composing our theme and to those supporting us on Patreon. Again, make sure to be following our YouTube channel on Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern. You won't want to miss the pilot episode of the Hot Take Show. It's going to be a doozy. All right, until next time.